Wake up! Wake up! This is your final wake-up call. Or is it? Hello and welcome. I'm Anthony Day and this is the Sustainable Futures Report for Friday the 23rd of July 2021. On the 5th of July, a thunderstorm in Edinburgh delivered half a month's rain in an hour. The water flooded shops, blocked roads and stalled cars. On the 12th of July, heavy rain led to flash floods in southwest London, again with flooded shops, blocked roads, stalled cars and cancelled trains. A week later, torrential rain hit Germany, Belgium and the Netherlands. The water didn't just flood shops and block roads, it washed away bridges, demolished houses and killed nearly 200 people. This week, Mumbai in India experienced extreme rainfall, more intense than normal monsoon weather. Flash floods and mudslides caused dozens of fatalities. As I write this, news comes in of devastating floods in Henan province in China. Twelve people are dead and more than a 100,000 have been evacuated from their homes. Earlier this month, parts of northwest America, from California to British Columbia, came under the influence of a heat dome. You'll remember that the small community of Lytton experienced a record temperature of 49.6 degrees centigrade, and days afterwards the whole town was consumed by a wildfire. In Death Valley, California, temperatures exceeded 54 degrees centigrade, or 130 Fahrenheit. Christopher Harley, a marine biologist at the University of British Columbia, has calculated that more than a billion marine animals may have been killed by the unusual heat. Experts from the Union of Concerned Scientists warn that North America is trapped in a cycle of heat, drought and fire. The Beckworth Complex, a wildfire in Northern California, developed a fire tornado and has so far devastated 140 square miles or 360 square kilometres. Meanwhile, the bootleg fire in Oregon, still burning as I write, has consumed 470 square miles, or 1,200 square kilometres, and that's only one of 300 fires burning across the United States. The latest word is that the bootleg fire, more extensive than New York City, is developing mile-high fire clouds, which can carry ash and embers to start fires in other areas. And in the UK, the Met Office has just issued its first ever amber warning of extreme heat. In an article in the journal Nature, Luciana Gatti at the National Institute for Space Research in Brazil warns that partly as a result of clearances for ranching, the Amazon is now emitting more CO2 than it absorbs. The key question is, is all this due to climate change? Joe Biden thinks it is. He has the Biden plan for a clean energy revolution and environmental justice. His climate envoy, John Kerry, says rich countries must meet a promise to mobilise $100 billion a year for poorer nations to tackle climate change before November's COP26 talks in Glasgow. Biden's plans may still be blocked by sceptics, mainly Republicans, in the House and Senate. Commentators, myself included, when reporting on extreme weather events, have always said that this is not proof of climate change, although it is consistent with the theory of climate change. Now the tone is changing. 
scientists are saying that the probability of such events as these occurring without the influence of climate change is negligible. They're using the word existential more and more. Now is the time for action. Again. Is this finally a wake-up call? I've been podcasting on this for 14 years. When I started 14 years ago, the message was that if we started action now, it was not too late to solve the climate crisis. That message has been repeated across those 14 years by Ban Ki-moon at the United Nations, by naturalist David Attenborough, by economist Nicholas Stern, by campaigner Greta Thunberg, and many, many others. 14 years on, it's apparently still not too late if we start now. And yet, in general, governments are not doing nearly enough to address the crisis. Yesterday, I asked someone whether we should concentrate more on mitigation or adaptation. We need mitigation, adaptation and education, she replied. The general public is far more aware of the climate crisis than it has been, but still has poor understanding of the facts. Governments are not educating the public. In the UK, the government and the mainstream media seem determined to suppress or ignore the facts. In response to the one-sided reporting by a number of national newspapers last September, 50 Extinction Rebellion supporters blockaded a print works and prevented an edition of the papers reaching the shops. Some were arrested and sentenced for obstruction. So far, they've been fined and given conditional discharges. There have been no imprisonments. They've broken the law and must expect to pay the penalty. But these protests should not be necessary. Extinction Rebellion is calling on the government to recognise the science and to take urgent action to address the crisis. Priti Patel, UK Home Secretary and Minister Responsible for the Police, seems determined to ignore the reasons behind the protest. During the latest trial, the court heard how Home Secretary Patel had made multiple calls to police commanding officers about the protest and requested them to expedite removal of the protesters. The role of the police is to uphold the law, not to do the bidding of politicians. And the judge commented that in this case they had not been influenced by Patel's interventions. All that could change. The Police, Crime, Sentencing and Courts Bill, which is currently going through Parliament, gives police the powers to decide whether a protest is too noisy or inconveniences the public and to close it down. In the terms of this law, a protest can consist of as few as one person. Patel told Parliament that she had consulted the police on this new legislation. The police have denied that there was any consultation and have said that they don't need or want this new legislation. The insistence on suppressing protests so you can ignore the message is like government by three wise monkeys. Speak no evil, see no evil, hear no evil. It is reckless in the extreme in present circumstances. Even the rich and powerful will find that the consequences of the climate crisis will affect them too though probably not until many millions across the world have suffered by their negligence. Even once there is consensus that things must be done, convincing the public will not be easy. In a keynote speech at the BPS, that's the British Psychological Society's 
Division of Counseling Psychology Conference, Professor Emeritus David Utzel, a leading climate psychologist, will argue that we should see the climate crisis as an opportunity to rethink our priorities. Rather, than an issue where a sacrifice in an individual's living standards is necessary to create change. Rather than focusing on behaviour change, we must focus on creating societal change in a fair, caring way that encourages everyone to participate. Too often we are told that the solutions to climate change involve giving things up through the lens of putting the environment first and the self second. We know from psychological research that people regret a loss more than value again. Too often, behaviour change campaigns give the impression that they will necessitate a sacrifice in individuals' living standards, their happiness and their image of the good life. Some way to go then. We need governments to lead this process of understanding and reprioritizing. Maybe COP26, the United Nations Climate Conference postponed from last year, We'll see the start of such a process when it convenes in Glasgow in November. The British government's new transport decarbonisation strategy is not an encouraging example. It promises that domestic aviation will be carbon neutral by 2040 and long-haul flights will be close to zero carbon by 2050, so we don't need to worry about continuing to fly. They seem to have overlooked the emissions which will be created in the years before these new technologies are available. And it's not altogether clear how realistic these new technologies are. Too much business as usual. And in other news, there is a lot of other news. So to keep this episode at a manageable length, I'm going to give you the headlines. And as usual, you'll find all the links on the website at all the W's sustainablefutures.report, where you can find the full stories. Some of them I'll pick up in more detail in the future. First of all, though, let's acknowledge the latest patron of the Sustainable Futures Report, Mark Spencer, presenter of the Climactic podcast, which I mentioned a couple of weeks ago. Mark, thanks for your support. You can find Climactic on all good podcast host sites. So, in other news, there's continuing discussion about nuclear power following the recent incident at Taishan. European scientist complains that overblown safety debates are killing European nuclear energy. You'll remember that there are three sites in Europe under construction using the same design as the Taishan plant. According to YO News, yes, I'd not heard of it either, China has begun construction of the world's first commercial small modular reactor. Apparently, it will have a potential output of 125 megawatts, enough to service half a million households. Research into small modular reactors, SMRs, continues in the UK and elsewhere, although none is yet under construction. And talking of construction, Taylor Wimpey, one of the UK's biggest house builders, has opposed government plans to slash carbon dioxide emissions from new homes by at least three quarters, and argued against heat pumps, which are proposed as a replacement for gas boilers. So far, it seems that Taylor Wimpy are out of line with the rest of the industry. From construction to destruction, the RIBA, the Royal Institute of British Architects, has said that demolition should be avoided wherever possible. Refurbishment has a far lower carbon footprint 
than demolition followed by new construction. The Task Force on Scaling Voluntary Carbon Markets has called for a new body to regulate carbon offsets. Mark Carney, former Governor of the Bank of England, has given the scheme his broad support, while Greenpeace denounced it as an attempt to create a get-out-of-jail-free card. Meanwhile, CIBC, Itor Unibanco, National Australian Bank and NatWest Group have partnered to launch Project Carbon, a voluntary carbon marketplace. The project aims to help the bank's clients to achieve a net-zero carbon goal. The world's wind and solar energy capacity grew at a record rate last year, while the oil industry recorded its steepest slump in demand since the Second World War, according to BP. This must be good news for the electric Viking. Not sure why he's called that, because he's an Australian. Anyway, he reports that Toyota believes that petrol and diesel cars will be a significant part of sales even after 2030. And the corporation is lobbying governments to make sure that this happens. Toyota has largely ignored electric cars and is concentrating on hybrids and hydrogen. The electric Viking is highly critical of Toyota's position. He believes that future energy needs will be totally satisfied by SWB. That's electricity from solar, wind and batteries. There'll be no need for nuclear, gas or coal. I'm not sure where he gets this from, but you can find him on YouTube and there's a link on the website. And finally, yep, that's it for another week. Next week, we'll be talking to Ria Rusha from the Ecoside podcast about rewilding. And of course, there will be other news, as there always is. Before I go, I'd like to thank you for listening and to let you know that people are suddenly listening in ever greater numbers. So please do tell your friends. And let's hope that new listeners will tell their friends as well. I'm especially grateful to patrons for the monthly contributions which cover my costs. If you'd like to be a patron, you're more than welcome. Just sign up at patreon.com slash sfr, p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash sfr for £5 a month or more or less. In any case, if you want to stay in touch, just click the subscribe button where you found this podcast. That was the Sustainable Futures Report. I'm Anthony Day. Until next time. Thank you.